Pastor Alden Ho with Amazing Facts, and I want to welcome you to today's Sabbath School or this week's Sabbath School Study Hour on Lesson 8 in this third quarter. Before we begin, I'd like to give you an offer here. This is the offer of the book Footsteps, A Closer Walk with Jesus. If you would like to receive this, you can call this number 1-866-788-788. 3966 and ask for offer 800. If you happen to be in the U.S., you can text SH163 to the number 40544. But if you happen to be outside the United States or Canada, feel free to go to the following website, study.aftv.org forward slash SH163. But If you're also outside of North America and the U.S. territories, by all means, you can write us also by mail. Once again, the number 1-866-788-3966-OFFER-800. Well, we are in a very interesting lesson this week. And this week's lesson is titled, Christ-Shaped Lives and Spirit-Inspired Speech. But before we begin... Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer, shall we? Our Father in heaven, as we come to you, we thank you for each and every moment that you give us that we can study your word and to learn from it. And as we open up this particular lesson this week, may we learn from the thoughts that Paul had when he wrote Ephesians. We ask that you would draw us closer to you, that you would continue to transform us and shape us and guide and direct us Help us to learn from the lesson today and give power to the message is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. The key text that we find in this particular lesson today is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 to 24. And I'd like to read that to you. And it says that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to this deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. That's kind of the overall arching thought for this particular week. As we look at the Sabbath particular lesson, the Sabbath school lesson illustrates, uh, gives a story of Jose Antonio who lived on the streets of Palma, Spain. And it says here, as a homeless man, for many years, he was graying. He had shaggy hair, a beard. He looked much older than his age of 57. One day, Salva Garcia, he was the owner of a hair salon. He approached Jose and proposed a complete makeover for him. With Jose in the salon chair, it says, a hardworking team cut, dyed, and styled his tangled bundles of hair and his beard. Next, Jose then got to try on new stylish clothes. Then came the overall reveal. Can you imagine Jose as he 
stood in front of the mirror looking at himself, we find that tears came to his eyes as he said, is this me? I'm so different. No one is going to recognize me. Later, he would add, I wasn't just a, it wasn't just a change of looks. It's a change of my life. So we find that with Jose, not only did a makeover change him in his appearance, but it also changed him inwardly. What I'd like to share with you is, as you are watching, perhaps you're on YouTube or you're actually watching on Amazing Facts TV, you might have seen what we call our Changed Lives video clips. These Changed Lives video clips, I happen to have the Changed Lives devotional book from Amazing Facts. And I want to share that in this particular book, we read a lot of the different stories of changed lives. And I bring that to you because just like Jose, his life was changed. His life was altered. But his was altered because of the looks which transformed him. But in each one of these stories in this and in the Bible... A life was changed, not because of a haircut or a change of clothing. Lives were changed because of what the Holy Spirit did in each and every one of their lives. Each and every one of these testimonies reveals a life that was saved from the grip of Satan and transformed by the grace of Jesus. Unlike Jose's, these were changed by looking unto Jesus. In the book, Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 2, we find the following text says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And we find in the same way, our lives also cannot and they will not change unless the Holy Spirit does the transforming in our lives. Because, face it, we don't have that willpower ourselves. It's very difficult. And not only do we not have the willpower, we have an adversary that is doing everything he can to keep us from doing any changes. So we find that overall, this is leading us on this Sabbath overall view that when we look at, for example, Saul's conversion story, Saul was heading down the road to Damascus and on the way, all of a sudden, he gets blinded. He can't see. This light struck him. And he probably, my guess is, Paul would probably have still been blind had he not made the change to allow Christ, the Holy Spirit, to change his life. This leads us to Sunday's lesson. Sunday's lesson is titled, The Downward Spiral of Sin. This focus on Ephesians this entire quarter, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 is the verse that we're looking at now. And it says, This I say, therefore, and testify to the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Now, we don't want to be Gentiles. We want to be transformed. When we break this down, the Seventh-day Adventist commentary tells us Paul is not expressing merely a personal opinion here. He feels deeply that that which is, he is about to teach them, Paul urges that the believers should be different from Gentiles. The Ephesians themselves, they were once Gentiles, but now they belong to the Israel of God. 
So their lives were changed. Now, I want to bring you two comparisons from two different Bible versions, and you'll be able to get a better picture of this. When you look at this particular verse again in the New King James Version, here's what this passage says from chapter 4, verse 17 to verse 24. This I say, therefore, and testify to the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened by being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have learned him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man that grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, this is from the New King James Version. It may be a little challenging to understand. So let me bring you to now to a different translation called the message by Eugene Peters. And this is what he says in the exact same message. He says, and so I insist, and God backs me up on this, that there is not go, there is no going along with the crowd, the empty headed, mindless crowd. They've refused for so long to deal with God. They've lost touch, not only with God, but with reality itself. They can't think straight anymore, feeling no pain. They let themselves go in sexual obsession, addiction, in every sort of perversion. Now, verse 20 continues on. It says, but that's no life for you. You learned Christ. My assumption is that you have paid careful attention to him, been well instructed in the truth, precisely as we have it in Jesus. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything I do mean, I do mean everything connected with that old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then take on an entire new way of life, a God-fashioned life a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately produces his character in you. As you can see, both of these translations, Paul is clearly saying to us that the old way of life, it's got to go. Got to make the changes. Satan is out to deceive. He's out to ensnare us. But the masses, that's what he's after. And Satan's going to go after as many as he can. Now, if we compare this message, if we look at what the evangelicals are teaching today, they start at justification, accepting Christ, and then they jump all the way over here to glorification. They skip this middle process. And this middle process that we find is the work of a lifetime. And this process is called sanctification. And this is exactly what Paul is trying to point out to us because Paul is trying to say the old way of life, the things that you, you used to do in the carnal life, 
These things have to change. That's got to be all done away with. Listen to what it says here in a quotation from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 459. It was when the Israelites were in a condition of outward ease and security that they were led into sin. They failed to keep God ever before them. They neglected prayer and cherished a spirit of self-confidence, ease, and self-indulgence, left the citadel of soul unguarded, and debasing thoughts found entrance. It was the traitors within. Notice, let me pause for a second in this quote. It's interesting because it's saying the traitors within. You know what? I look at that. It's almost like self-sabotage because we're destroying ourselves from within. The quotation goes on and it says, it was the traitors within the walls that withdrew the strongholds of principle and betrayed Israel into the power of Satan. It was thus that Satan still seeks to compass the ruin of souls. A long preparatory process unknown to the world goes on in the heart before the Christian commits open sin. How is this possible? We're told the mind does not come down at once from purity and holiness to depravity and corruption and crime. It takes time to degrade those formed, those formed in the image of God to this brutal or this satanic. By beholding, we're told, we become changed. By the indulgence of impure thoughts, man can so educate his mind that sin, which he once loathed, will become pleasant to him. You know, Mrs. White has a quotation that she writes in this. She says, if when the Lord reveals your error, you do not confess, his providence will bring you over the ground again and again. You will continue to lack wisdom. You will call sin righteousness and righteousness sin. And the multitude of deceptions that prevail in the last days will encircle you and you will change leaders and not know you have done so. And this is the problem that many are facing today. Because if we are not beholding Christ, we are not being changed into his likeness. We are still in the likeness of what we think the image of God should be. The quotation from Patriarchs and Prophets ends with this. The mind is educated to familiarity with sin, that the once tender conscience becomes hardened and they dwell upon these things with greedy interests. Well, now, this brings us to Monday's lesson. In Monday's lesson, it's titled, A Dramatic Change of Clothing. It changes when we happen to see where we are and where we really want to go. I'd like to bring you to an old hymn, probably the first hymn I started playing on the piano. It's the hymn 618 in the old Adventist hymnal, it was called Sitting at the Feet of Jesus. It was written by J. Lincoln Hall. I want to read to you a couple of the verses from this. It says, Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Oh, what words I hear him say. Happy place, so near, so precious. May it find me there each day. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. I would look upon the past, for his love has been so gracious it has won my heart at last. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, 
Where can mortal be more blessed? There I lay my sins and sorrow, and when weary, find sweet rest. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, there I love to weep and pray, while I from his fullness gather grace and comfort every day. It ends with the following verse. Bless me, O my Savior, bless me. As I sit low at thy feet, O look down in love upon me. Let me see thy face so sweet. Give me Jesus, the mind of Jesus. Keep me holy as he is. May I prove I've been with Jesus, who is all my righteousness. Wow, what a powerful song, powerful hymn that we can look at. When we look at the change of clothing, the imagery that's involved in this change of clothing, Paul tells us that the adoption of a Christ-shaped life requires, I'll give you three points here, it requires the process which he expresses through this imagery of clothing. Number one, he tells us to put off and turn away from the old way of life. So take off the old garments, put it away. Number two, to experience an inner renewal. The filth is gone. The carnal is gone. And number three, put on the new. Put on the Christ-like pattern of life. So Paul's metaphor here reflects the use of clothing in the New Testament as a symbol for both sinfulness Satan will try to insinuate the following. He will try to tell us, you're not worthy. You're not worth it. You're a sinner. You don't even, you're not worthy of Christ's grace. But yet, here's what we find in the following quotation. It's found in historical sketches of the foreign missions of the Seventh-day Adventist, page 135. It says, when Satan tells you that your sins are such that you need not expect any great victories of God, Tell him the Bible teaches that those who love, who are loved most are those who have been forgiven most. Do not try to lessen your guilt by excusing sin. You cannot come near to God by faith unless you realize your sinfulness. I mean, what are you going to do when you ask for forgiveness? You can't truly ask for forgiveness until you realize the wretchedness that you are in the sin that you're involved in. And it says here, you cannot come near to God by faith unless you realize this. Then you can place yourself right on the promises and with unwavering faith can claim a share in the infinite sacrifice that has been made for the human race. Now catch this. Clinging close to Jesus and his great heart of love will draw you unto himself. Did you catch that? Because this is really important. Because as you take off the old robes, you realize you got to make a change. So as you draw nearer to Christ, he draws nearer to you also. We find that in ancient times, men wore knee-length tunics all the way down to here. And as an undergarment and a cloak or mantle to offer protection from the sun. Similarly, we find women wore a tunic and a robe. The culture reflects, uh, the cultures reflected in the Bible were subsequent ones. Garments were very precious. 
garments were very expensive and they were kept for a very long time. They didn't really change their clothing. They kind of wore the same things and obviously washing them. It would have been unusual to own more than one set of clothing. Can you imagine that? When we look at our drawers, when we look at our wardrobes, how many things we have hanging up and put away, it's telling here that in Bible times, it would have been unusual to have more than one set of clothing. This quality, the style of the garments, all signaled the identity. It also showed a status markers about the person wearing it. To change one's clothing, exchanging one set for an, another set was really a very unusual and a very important event. But just to let you know how important this change of clothing was, we may not think much of it, but do you remember Elisha's servant, Gehazi? When Naaman was healed, Naaman had several changes of clothing. And Gehazi went chasing after Naaman after he was healed to try and obtain this, and he lied about it. So in Paul, Paul imagines the change in life to be as noticeable as changing one set of clothing to another as it would have been in the first century context. That brings us to Tuesday's lesson. Tuesday, Tuesday's lesson is entitled Unity Building, Grace-Filled Speech. Now, the lesson brings out Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. So take a look at that with me. Therefore, putting away lying, each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let us who stole steal no longer but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who is in need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Now, that's a lot of words that we just read here. Let's break these down now and see exactly what this is talking about. How can those who are followers of one who is the truth do anything else but hold to the utmost integrity in all things? Not integrity in little things, but integrity overall in all things. In the life of the Christian, there is no place for taking advantage of somebody else in, say, a business transaction, or changing a story, or conveying a false impression, or by using innuendos. For the, the making of promises without the intention of keeping them, or the relaying of rumors and gossip. Sometimes you hear people, they'll answer you, oh yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll be there, I'll do that. But in their heart, they know they're not going to do that. That is really portraying a false sense of what you really know you're not going to keep. That is really referred to as lying today. When we look in Greek, both elements, be angry and sin not, are commands. So when Paul is writing here and he says, be angry and sin not, he's actually commanding us and various suggestions have been made in an effort to avoid the implication of a command to be angry. 
None of them are satisfactory. In fact, we find the simplest solution seems to be a regard to regard the anger here spoken of as more of a righteous indignation. Not, not angry as in fuming, but a righteous indignation that this is biblically not right. A Christian who is not aroused to the point of indignation by manifesting wrongs and injustices may be insensitive to some things that ought to concern him. Righteous indignation has the most important function in stimulating men in the battle against evil. And this is very important for us to understand. We can't just sit there and allow things to be when we know it's wrong. Jesus was not angered by any personal affront, but by hypocritical challenges to God and injustices done to, the, to others. Do you remember when he was in the temple and they were selling in there and he flipped over the tables? That was righteous indignation. That wasn't anger as in he was fuming and he was wanting to really hurt them. That was righteous indignation because what should have been right was shown to be wrong. Justifiable anger is directed against the wrong act without animosity towards the wrongdoer. To be able to separate the two is a supremely great Christian achievement. You have to be angry with the sin, not with the sinner. And that's the separation that needs to take place. We find in the devotional book in Heavenly Places, page 175, the following is said, In all his teachings, Christ presented pure, unadulterated principles. He did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth. Constantly, there flowed from his lips holy, ennobling truths. He spoke as never man spoke, with a pathos that touched the heart. Cultivate a prayerful frame of mind and educate the tongue to speak right words. That will bless the place of discouragement. Talk of the goodness. Talk of the mercy and of the love of God. Put away all unbelieving words and all that is cheap and common. Let the words be sound words that cannot condemn and the peace of God will surely come to the soul. In other words, our words must be uplifting. Now, I know that that's sometimes a challenge. I find that to be a challenge in all honesty. So I fully understand this. And believe me, there have been times that I have spent a lot of time struggling with the Lord because I, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why, what did I mean by that? And sometimes we have to, once those words are out, you, you can't take back those words. You may hurt somebody when you say that. And so what you have to do is correct what was happening, apologize, seek forgiveness, but get on your knees and ask the Lord to make the changes that need to be made. Sometimes, for some of us, it's a long road, and it can be a long lesson as well. In Ephesians 4.29, the Bible says, as Paul writes, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. The words should be uplifting. From the translation of the message, the following 
same verse says, watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps, each word a gift. You know, sometimes when, the, when we're talking about the following where it says, by beholding you become changed, I can tell you as a fact that when you watch movies and TVs, you hear all these foul words, this language comes out, and the filter in your brain sometimes we shouldn't even allow that because by beholding, we become changed. As we hear these things, all of a sudden, I like to say that sometimes when you go on a mission trip, let's say you're on a mission trip somewhere and you're trying to put in a nail. And all of a sudden, just as you're winding back to hammer that nail in, somebody calls you and your mind is distracted for a moment. And as you look away, that hammer is in motion swinging. And all of a sudden, instead of the hammer hitting the nail, the hammer finds your thumb and you let out a barrage of profanities because of the pain. And then everybody on the mission trip stops. They turn around and they look at you because you said something foul. And you look at yourself like, where did that come from? As it goes into your mind, it comes out at the most inopportune time. And that's what happens. So let the words be edifying. We find from the commentary, it spells out and it says here, foul speech is the sign of a corrupt heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Profanity and obscene jests, songs, even the frivolous and insipid conversations have no place in the Christian life. Indeed, they are the hallmarks of an unregenerate spirit. There have been many times within my years of ministry that I've met other pastors who have used foul language. And believe me, it's quite shocking. Sometimes you have to pray about it before you talk with them. But as we're told here, these are the hallmark of an unregenerate heart. As we draw closer to Christ, Christ's grace will transform us more and more into his likeness. We find also in the book of Matthew, Jesus warns us in Matthew chapter 12, verse 35 to 37, says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bring forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. These are words that accomplish no good purpose. It's kind of like what we call fluff. We say these words for what reason? You're trying to kind of lift up people sometimes. And we find while speaking does not always have to be somber or even serious in character, it should always edify and build up not words that cut down. It should, make ben, it should make men better than before they heard your words. We also find that as Christians, our work was to be a benefit for others. So here, these words also are to be good for our fellow men. 
not only indecent speech, but also that which is selfish, malicious, critical, suggestive. These things corrupt. Here again, Paul, the apostle, seems to have in the back of his mind, the central theme of this epistle is unity. That which does not edify tears down. And what do you do with it? It should be thrown out. It should be disregarded. It should be cast away. These are the challenges that we have in the world today because there are many things that Satan is throwing our way to distract us. Many things that he is trying to do that cause us to stumble, not only in our words, but sometimes, you know, you've heard the phrase, before you say anything, count to ten. There's wisdom in that. Before you just let it fall out of your mouth, think about what you're going to say. Be slow to speech, because then you won't have to spend so much time asking for forgiveness. As we move on to Wednesday's lesson, the title for Wednesday's lesson is The Holy Spirit in the Believer's Life. The focus for this particular lesson is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. And it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's really solid advice right there. We also read here in Matthew chapter 13, verse 31, Therefore I say to you, Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven men. So what exactly is this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? It's also referred to as the unpardonable sin. Now listen very closely to this, because you don't want to miss this. Unpardonable sin means you will never be able to get asked for forgiveness of this. And this consists of progressive resistance to the truth that culminates in a final and irrevocable decision against it deliberately made in the full knowledge that by doing so, one is choosing to pursue his own course of action in opposition to the divine will. So simply put, it's this. God is saying, do this, and you know you should do this, but you yourself choose to do this. When God impresses you and he says, please do this, but you insist to have your own way, over time, that is the unpardonable sin. Over time, that is something that it will have irrevocable damage done to your judgment. The conscience is sheared by continued resistance to the impressions of the Holy Spirit. And one may hardly be aware that he has been made into this faithful decision. So I want to give you six points here, six points that you will find that these are six points that will help you to not send away the Holy Spirit. Number one, point number one is negative speech. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt word proceed from your mouth, but what is good and necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the sinner. Notice that in the Bible, Nothing satisfied the Israelites. Instead of focusing on the Lord who rescued them from slavery and provided for them in the wilderness, they always seemed to find something wrong in everything that was going on. 
And that's all they focused on was a negative. They were griping about everything. So number two is uncontrolled emotions. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, it tells us, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. We find bitterness is akin to hatred. It is a root that produces bitter fruit or extreme wickedness. If this root stays planted in our soil, the branches of other evil actions will grow out as a result of that. Point number three, lying. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Don't speak things that are not true. We find that a little bit of falsehood is still a lie. False flattery is one that we lie to each other. I've heard people say these things many times. They're, it's a type of a form of flattery about people, but it's frivolous. It's, a, it's really lying. And we're told that we don't want to offend our brother or sister, but we also want to say things, we don't want to say things that we don't mean. This kind of also ties in with what gossip is, because words distinguished as prayer requests or perhaps stories spread as attempts to aid, and they still can be classified as lying. When we find stories, and we repeat these stories, and we repeat these rumors from one person to another, this can harm a person's character and can also hurt their image. Brings us to point number four, falling for deception. Ephesians 5, 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. We find in Exodus chapter 32, the Israelites were deceived into building this golden image, this calf. They trusted in their own assumptions, thinking that (laughs) Moses wasn't coming back off the top of Mount Sinai. And what happens as a result? We find that the Holy Spirit is grieved when we believed anything other than the truth. The result of listening to false doctrine can draw us away from him and into a sinful action. This brings me to point number five, stealing. In Ephesians 4.28, it says, Let him who stole steal no longer but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give who has need. Stealing, robbery. Robbery cannot be a part of the Christian lifestyle. We cannot hold up banks. We cannot rob stores. We can't run off into the sunset with all the loot. But the size or the value of the item is not what determines the theft. Even if we didn't intentionally take the money, for example, they may have added something to your grocery bag. They might have given you extra change back. All these things. What do you do? Do you just say, oh, it's their loss. They gave it to us. Rather than correcting it and showing them and say, this is not mine. This belongs back to you. The final point, point number six, is, oh, one more point I want to bring up under point five under the one of stealing is many people can also steal 
by cheating on their taxes. Many people can also falsify business documents. And I've heard this before where children have been told by the parents, say this, when they know it's a lie. And I've heard children say, but that's, that's lying, mom. That's lying, dad. I, I don't care. Tell them this. When you do that, you're training your children to lie. That is totally wrong. That's a false character. So keep away from that. Point number six, drunkenness. And we find, do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul here is speaking of uh, a darkness, of a foolishness of unwise men. And there are few things more foolish than drunkenness, Paul says. This evil is frequently condemned in the Scripture, and Paul, probably thinking of it not only in the gratification of appetite, but also in social evil that glorifies wastefulness, emotional excitement at the expense of good sense, and also reckless pursuit of pleasure. Anything that takes man's reason from him means deterioration of the soul and unfitness for the kingdom of God. Let me give to you a quote that's a very powerful quote we find in Selected Messages, Volume 3, page 137. It says, The Holy Spirit was promised to be with those who are wrestling for victory. In demonstration of almightiness, endowing the human agent with supernatural powers, the instruction, sorry, and instructing ignorant in the uh, mysteries of the kingdom of God, that the Holy Spirit is to be the grand helper is a wonderful promise. Of what avail would it have been to us that the only begotten Son of Man had humbled himself, endured the temptations of the wily foe, and wrestled with him during his entire life on earth, and died the just for the unjust that humanity might not perish? If the Spirit had not given, been given as a constant, working, regenerating agent to make effectual, in our case, what has been wrought out by the world's Redeemer. The imparted Holy Spirit enables his disciples, enables the, the apostles, to stand firmly against this species of idolatry and to exalt the Lord and him only. Notice this last part. Who but Jesus Christ, by his spirit and divine power, guided the pens of sacred historians to that the world might be presented the precious record of the sayings and works of Jesus Christ? Wow. Very powerful lesson that we learned this day on what the Holy Spirit is all about and what the Holy Spirit is trying to lead us. He's trying to lead us to all truths. So in your life, don't ever push away the Holy Spirit. What do you do when you hear the truth and you struggle with it? Take it to the Lord in prayer. Don't ever push it aside because not only are we held accountable for what we have done, but what we have left undone, we're told in the spirit of prophecy. When we are struggling with things, we should wrestle with them right there and there on the spot and wrestle with God until conviction comes to our heart. But don't let the sun go down without dealing with these things.
when we get to Thursday's lesson, Thursday's lesson is on kindness, and we find the following verses in, once again, Ephesians chapter 4, 31, 32. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, but be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. For some people, kindness is a very easy thing to do. For other people, kindness can be very painful and they don't even know how to be kind to other people. I'll give you the story here of a man named Henry Pierce of Australia. He was competing in the single skull rowing event in the 1928 Olympics. He was leading when all of a sudden he noticed that a duck and a string of her ducklings came into view right ahead. And his quick calculations showed that he's on a collision course with these little ducklings. Pierce reckoned that his skull would cut through that string of ducklings. In, it would cut it right in two and would sink a few of the ducklings in the process. So what did he do? He pulled up his oars. And he, when he passed, he let the ducks go by. And then he bent back down and he went back to rowing. The happy ending to this story is he won the race. But that's not always the case. Usually, acts of sportsmanship result in defeat. Hence the phrase that we've heard, nice guys finish last. This happened a couple years ago in a marathon, a marathon tandem kayak race that was going on. It was the world championship that was going on in Copenhagen. The Danish paddlers were leading when their rudder was damaged as they portaged from one side to another side. The British paddlers, who were in second place, they stopped to help the Danes fix their rudder. And then they both got into the water again, the both teams. The Danes went on to defeat the British, believe it or not, by just one second. One second on an event that lasted three hours. But here's the happy ending to the story. According to the Wall Street Journal, the British kayakers won what many regarded as the highest honor in the sport, not the gold medal itself, but they became winners of what is known to be the Pierre de Coubertin International Fair Play Trophy. This trophy was awarded by the uh, for the founder of the modern Olympic Games, and it has been awarded annually since 1997 to people in sports who have demonstrated nobility of spirit. So, even though nice guys finish last, nice guys are being recorded in the kingdom of heaven, in the book of record. When we look at this particular verse in verse 32, Simple acts of kindness, a gentleness, a profoundness, recommendations of the Christian. This is actually one of the fruit of the Spirit. It is the opposite of the word malice. By a spirit of alchemy, conversion changes malice into kindness. We find in the following quotation found in the fifth volume of the Testimonies, page 278, it says, Remember that your brethren are fallible, creatures like yourself, and regard their mistakes and errors with the same mercy and forbearance that you wish them to exercise towards you. 
they should not be they should not be watched and their defects paraded in front of the world to exalt over. Those who dare to do this have climbed upon the judgment seat and made themselves judges while they have neglected the garden of their own hearts and have allowed poisonous seeds to obtain a ranked growth. We individually have a case pending in the courts of heaven. Character is being weighed in the balances of the sanctuary, and it should be the earnest desire of all to walk humbly and carefully, lest, neglecting to let their light shine forth to the world, they fail of the grace of God and lose everything that is valuable. All dissension, all differences, fault-finding should be put away with, with all evil speaking and bitterness. Kindness, love, and compassion for one another should be cherished, that the prayer of Christ, that the disciples may be one as he is one with the Father, may be answered. It closes with the following, and it says, The harmony and unity of the church are the credentials that they present to the world that Jesus is the Son of God. Genuine conversion will ever lead to genuine love for Jesus and for those for whom he died. But you may say, okay, pastor, Pastor Alden, I've heard these things before. I understand these things, but you don't understand within our church, the wheat and the tares are going together. I mean, brother so-and-so is doing this. Sister so-and-so is spreading these rumors. What am I supposed to do? Practice Matthew 18. Read Matthew 18 very carefully on how you progress. Public sin is to be handled publicly. Private sin is to be handled privately. But more so than anything else, if you struggle with these things before you say anything to anybody, you take it to the Lord in prayer. You get on your knees and you pray and you say, Lord, you know this situation. I feel impressed that I need to say something, but guide and direct my words. Give me wisdom as to what I'm supposed to say. Let not self rise up. Help me to love the sinner, but hate the sin. And I'm telling you, in all honesty, these are probably some of the most difficult things to do. But we should be doing this. And we should be sighing and crying for the abominations that are happening within our beloved church. There is going to be more and more of this happening because as we near the coming of Jesus, more and more of these things are going to become evident. Sighing, crying, praying, and lifting up Jesus. But remember, when you talk to these brethren or sisters, remember to edify, to lift up rather than tear down. As we summarize Friday Friday's thoughts on this particular lesson of Christ-shaped lives and spirit-filled speech. I want to leave you with two quotes. One quote is Steps to Christ, page 72. It says, day by day, his heart was drawn out toward Christ until he'd lost sight of self in love of his master. His resentful, ambitious temper was yielded to the molding power of Christ. The regenerating influence of the Holy Spirit renewed his heart. The power of the love of Christ wrought a transforming character. This is the sure result of union with Jesus. 
When Christ abides in the heart, the whole nature is transformed. Christ's spirit, his love softens the heart, subdues the soul and raises the thoughts and desires towards God and heaven. And finally, the last quote is found in Acts of the Apostles, page 476. It says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Though the power of Christ, through the power of Christ, men and women have broken the chains of sinful habits and have renounced selfishness. The profane has become reverent. The drunken, sober. The prolificate, pure. Souls that have borne the likeness of Satan have become transformed into the image of God. This change in itself, the miracle of miracles, a change wrought by the word, if is one of the deepest mysteries of the word, we cannot understand it. We can only believe it as declared in scriptures. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what happens through all this? This is the challenge that we face each and every day. And that challenge is to be able to walk with God each and every day. How do we do this? The examples given to us by the man who walked on this earth who never died. And that man is Enoch. And as a little boy tells this story, he tells it that every day Enoch would walk with God. He would walk with God for hours during the daytime. And then he would say, Lord, I need to go back. So he would go back home. And day after day, Enoch would do this. They would go on long walks together with the Lord. But one day, as Enoch was walking with the Lord, he was so deep in conversation with the Lord that he realized that the sun was already setting. The day is already gone. And he was so far away. And he stopped and he said, but Lord, I am so far from home and I need to get going. And the Lord looked at him and said, Enoch, my son, you are indeed far from home, but you are so close to my home. Just come home with me. And Enoch, we're told, was no more. Wouldn't that be what you would want? Because I know that's what I would want. I, I want to walk with God till that, I am no more here. All the things of this world pales in comparison to having Jesus in my life. That is something you can do as well. But you must earnestly want it and you must cherish it and you must go after it. I would like to share with you one more time as we close the free offer that we have. Footsteps, a closer walk with Jesus. If you would like to receive this free offer, you can call 1-866-788-3966 and you can ask for the offer 800. Once again, it's 1-866-788-3966, offer 800. If you're in the United States, you can text SH163 to the number 40544. If you are outside the United States or Canada, you can go to the following website, study.aftv.org forward slash sh163. And if you're outside the United States, drop us a letter in the mail requesting this offer 
number 800. I thank you for joining me for this week's lesson. I pray that it will be, have a benefit to you, not only if you are teaching the class, but also in your own personal life as we endeavor to walk closely with Jesus in all that we do, in all that we say. Let's bow our heads, shall we, as we pray. Our Father in heaven, as we come to you, we thank you for the rich blessings you've given us. We thank you for the word that is a light to our path. And we ask and pray that as we continue to study and as we continue to learn, you would take us and you would transform us. You would help us to be able to shed those old robes, the carnal way of life, and that seeing our nakedness, you would clothe us with the right type of clothing that we would be representatives of you to a world that is dying, a world that knows not you. May they be drawn to the light, the righteousness that is imparted through us to other people. Save us in your kingdom and forgive us when we have failed, is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget to request today's life-changing free resource. Not only can you receive this free gift in the mail, you can download a digital copy straight to your computer or mobile device. To get your digital copy of today's free gift, simply text the keyword on your screen to 40544 or visit the web address shown on your screen. And be sure to select the digital download option on the request page. It's now easier than ever for you to study God's Word with amazing facts wherever and whenever you want. And most important, to share it with others.